Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 96. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, winged warriors, senses working overtime and some naughty narcolepsy. But first we have some follow-up to Mike's bot-bot, as it were, from a couple of weeks back. Graham said it reminded him of something. Laurie Anderson's hit from the early 80s, Oh Superman. I remember it well. Well, he would know, as he admitted to buying not one album of hers, but two. He's got a point, you know. Uh, no, mine is much better. I can feel another mashup coming on. I'm tempted to say that the show can only get better. But experience has proved otherwise. But that purchase wasn't Graham's only shocking admission this week. He tweeted, wait for it, that he's fallen asleep when listening to the show. Graham? I know. I wouldn't have thought it possible myself. However, he redeemed himself by listening to the whole thing again the next day. So we forgave him. I'm thinking a bugle call every ten minutes or so might sort this out, you know. I think you could be right. I'll find one later. Like your Vuvuzela. Oh, I could use my Vuvuzela, couldn't I? <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's not go back there. <laughs> Can you imagine what a first-time listener makes of the show? <laughs> Terrifying. Anyway, onward. Uh, there has been an update to the Now TV, or as it's known here, the Now TV service. They've added support for a Chromecast via Android, iPhone and iPad. Not supporting the Apple TV yet, though. But it's unclear as to whether the Chromecast will count as one of the registered devices. Was it five you were allowed? I think it was five, yeah. But you can only register so many per month and switch them so often from memory. Was it five or was it three? Uh, it could have been four. <laughs> Split the difference. <laughs> <laughs> However many it is, it's unclear as to whether the Chromecast would count. Because people may have more than one Chromecast. Then you can double what you're allowed. I doubt you can, you know. Oh, Anyway, I shall keep an eye on that. When are we going to see Apple TV support? What will next week bring? I think the Apple TV's languished for too long, you know. It has. Hey, you know, they've got Apple TVs in your new site. Oh, no. Yeah. That probably means they're about to be terminated. Probably. Oh. Well, we can all buy a Chromecast instead. Uh, I will I will test it on said Chromecast and uh, report back. Although you know the problem I'm having at the moment, don't you? Well, which one? Well, indeed. Well, first off, I haven't got a TV, but I can borrow my mum's. So, um, yes, so I could borrow mum's, but she's got the Apple TV plugged in and she's got the uh, Nout V box plugged in. And that's it. We've run out of uh, HDMI <laughs> slots. So even to just test the Chromecast, I've had to unplug the Chromecast. Somebody out there, some kind MacBiter, point me towards one of these switches for HDMI things because it's all alien to me having no tv but i can foresee that mum's going to need one sooner rather than later if only for my enjoyment when i head down there to test equipment so if anybody's got a good one of those switches let me know about it we need one talking of google google finally released slides for ios this week first to the good it doesn't need an internet connection and the collaborative working looks pretty impressive. It automatically saves to the web when the connection's available and you can open, edit and save PowerPoint files. I thought that sounded pretty impressive, so I installed it. Uh, it automatically found my Google account. Thankfully, as I've got a hideous password, does protect my selfies though. Uh, and what sort of selfies would these be? Uh, joke. <laughs> there are no photos of me online. Anywhere. I trust no one with my data. Actually, I've never taken a selfie. Haven't you? 
No. Oh, I have. I was taking them before they were trendy. Do you remember that one of me changing in the toilets at work before the iPhone launch? Sadly, I do. Let that be a salutary lesson. Anyway, back to slides. (laughs) Well, the major problem was the lack of features. A serious lack of features. Started off as soon as I looked at it, no toolbar. But no worries, I like a minimalist interface. However, this is ridiculous. I I could find no way to add images, no way to add text, no way to add animations and transitions. And there was one theme and it was blank. Now, at that point, I thought, go on, give in. Tried the help link. That wasn't working either. The presenter's notes were there. So I thought, hmm, at least one thing's working. But they're not there when you're presenting. That was when I gave up. Yeah, I had a quick look. Not a lot, but um, it's a nice addition to the Google offering. But I don't think I would create a presentation on a device anyway. I know I've got PowerPoint for iPad. I know I've got Keynote for iPad. But just generally, for me, it's too small. It's too limiting. You've got no access to your graphics and other assets. Um, The same reason that... I wouldn't create a presentation in PowerPoint or Keynote on the mobile device. I might use it to make small amendments, but from the the Google point of view, my presentation files are likely to be in OneDrive, so I'd be using PowerPoint anyway, PowerPoint for the iPad. And of course, that requires a 365 subscription. So if you're looking for a cost-effective way to be able to edit PowerPoint files on the road, I would say this is it. Well, when you say edit... You mean like fixing a typo? Well, You don't mean adding a slide and then putting things on it, do you? No, I do mean fixing a typo. Do you know, I I couldn't make a presentation on the road. I couldn't. I don't use templates at all for my presentations, which is handy with this because there aren't any. Um, So (laughs) to be honest, yes, I do start with with a white slide all the time, but I do have access to a lot, and I do mean a lot, a huge library of assets, and of course they're not there. So for me, no, I wouldn't do it anyway, but... um, I'd I'd waited for this because I thought, well, it's not actually bad in a browser. When I first started looking at Google Docs, I thought, I'm never going to use this. And then I got into using the document side of it. And I thought, well, you know, if, if they make the presentation app as powerful as they do the word processing one. Uh, I don't know what they're thinking with this one. I really don't. I, I guess they're just assuming that nobody's creating. We're all presenting. But then the lack of the presenter's notes. What are the presenter's notes there for if you can't quite see them when you're presenting? I don't think, I don't think there's many software manufacturers have got the hang of how people actually use presentation software. I think you're right. They, they build what they think people would want but they're not actually testing it in real life at all. Because if you've got presenter's notes, odds are you want to use them during the presentation. You know, that's a bit of a given. And when you think about making slides, you do want to bring things in like logos and stuff, not the kind of things that are necessarily on your camera roll. They've, they've just got no clue. Totally agree. Uh, anyway, we've dis Google. We'll come back to them later. Uh, going back to that iCloud hacked or not hacked story shows the big difference between Apple being hacked and an individual account being hacked. A difference that not many seem to have grasped this week. Yeah, all the headlines that I saw were screaming about Apple being hacked. Well, a compromise of Apple's security would affect all users uh, in a similar way to that Adobe hacking from last autumn, where they unilaterally reset my password 27 times. Um, But an individual with a weak password or a password used elsewhere or written on a post-it note getting hacked doesn't mean that Apple were hacked. But it sure does make a better story. Having said that, 
Well, all the Apple users are, are crying foul. Maybe the Apple users could remember that the next time the press are screaming about Android being hacked. That is a good point. Well, that's it. Most Mac users know so much about iCloud, and certainly the people we know, that they know enough to know that what's in the press isn't the full story. But a lot of people don't. Did you see that um, it's been doing the rounds in the last few days? How the Daily Mail explained what iCloud was. <laughs> I did, yeah. Two yeah. words, wasn't it? Uh, no, no, it was highlighted. Somebody had drawn around it and another one I saw it had been highlighted in a yellow highlighter. Um, the Daily Mail had actually said, uh, up to the cloud, the cloud isn't a real cloud, and then <laughs> proceeded to explain about multiple computers in a server farm. Oh, it's embarrassing that that's British, isn't it? It is. Anyway, does anyone still have an insecure password? Is anyone really still answering security questions with anything other than a hideously long random string? It's looking like they do. Well, it's time to make sure you don't. Don't reuse passwords. Do use a password manager and take security seriously. Because Apple are actually making it a whole lot easier to back up. In fact, it's virtually handed off backup to an automated process that so many users don't even need to think about. Some don't even know it's happening. I mean, I remember with my dad's iPhone, I turned on the automatic backup and that was it. Forgot about it. And he had no idea. In fact, the things I could probably have found out from his backup, but obviously I didn't. Wouldn't do that. So it's great for people who don't back up. For the rest of us, to be honest, though, it's dumbing it down to the lowest common denominator because the tech savvy amongst us are now taking more time thinking, how can I secure this account? Then I spend more time thinking that than thinking about how to back it up. It's a trade off. You've got really easy backup and recovery, but you've got to offset that against the control that you've got. And we all have a responsibility to secure our own content. But um, I really feel for the people who have um, been targeted, shall we say. Do you think it'll be us one day that we'll be that famous? Could be. I'd better get those selfies off iCloud quick. That's what I said. No <laughs> selfies of me exist. If any, if anybody hears there's a selfie of me out there, trust me, there isn't. <laughs> That's the only way to be secure, isn't it? There, There is no photos of me on my camera roll or your camera roll. Mm, true. Do I exist if there's no photos of me? Yes. Oh, there is one of me, isn't there? You snuck one at iPad 2 day. I did. Yes, in the cap. Yes. Mm, that's the only one, trust me. Anyway, talking of security, it is reported this week that Apple have updated the iOS 8 terms, disallowing developers from selling data acquired through HealthKit. Seems a no-brainer to me. That data is not going to be available to advertisers in the apps. It's not They're not allowing it to be stored in iCloud. Of course, Lee said about iCloud and security, the better for Apple, I'd have thought. I think that's a good thing. I do. I totally agree. Uh, I wouldn't want my personal health data passed on to third parties just because I bought an app. So well done, Apple, for once. It would be nice if the government took the same approach, I think. Um, they caused a riot when they attempted to force agreement to the sale of health data just a few months ago. It was supposedly non-identifiable. I think I should point out this is in Britain. I doubt this happens in civilised countries. It's just here. I couldn't believe it when I heard they were going to do that. It was supposedly non-identifiable, but then they said there were national insurance numbers in it and postcodes. Which is pretty much a giveaway, isn't it? It is, yes. In fact, for us, just a postcode would do. There's only eight houses on the street. Mm. So it wouldn't be difficult to work out which one was which, would it? No. I agree with Apple's stance, but I'm wondering how enforceable it is because it's too late when some errant developer has gone and done it. 
you know, luckily, I haven't seen my GP for 17 years. There's more dust in my records and information. But still, all records should be completely private in all circumstances. But we'll see. Well, I'm going to keep my eye on that one. Yeah. I, I think somebody's going to try something at some point and then it'll be all over the paper because it would be a big coup, wouldn't it? It certainly would. You know, like when you were getting those flashlight apps in and it turned out they weren't just flashlight apps. Mm. They had the hidden option to turn on tethering. Yeah. Someone's going to try it. Now, talking of apps, following our recent conversation about the App Store um, last week and I think the week before, something that I picked up on this week, and it's Microsoft. They've revised their policy on misleading apps in the Windows Store. There were three key changes. Number one was that app names must clearly and accurately reflect functionality. Number two was that apps need to be categorized according to function and purpose. And number three was the icon must not be too similar to those of other apps. Now, most developers have agreed to comply and some haven't, which has resulted in the removal of about 1500 apps from the store. And what Microsoft has said for end users is that they will refund the cost of an app that was purchased because of a misleading title or description. And they're also working on speeding up the review process. All positive points. I think is a good practice to um, offer a refund. And also speeding up the review process, which we've said does take a long time. Not all the time. Usually when I'm waiting for an app. So I take full responsibility for that. I think, though, there's too many apps in, in Apple's App Store that are clearly rip-offs in terms of functionality, look and feel. Do you remember the panic icons being stolen a while back? I vaguely remember that, yeah. I can't remember which the app was, but Panic did a whole blog post about it. And these icons were identical. They, they were absolutely identical. And Apple didn't do anything about it. And I'm sure Panic had got in touch with them, but you know how that even got in the store, I don't know. Because you could at least do a search for it. I'm sure they've got the technology to do a search of the icons. And there are a lot of apps in there that have got identical names. Do you remember trying to buy Tweetbot? Oh, yes, I remember that. There is a t a tw an app called Tweetbot, and then there's a real Tweetbot that's actually called sort of Tweetbot Twitter client or something. And I, I remember somebody saying to me I bought the wrong one. I had to go back and buy another one. Will you get a refund of Tweetbots? <laughs> in Tweetbot. Yes. It depends how much it was, doesn't it? It was probably cheaper than a Tweetbot too. But yeah, Apple haven't been as proactive as I think they could be. So I think they should be more proactive in all of those areas, to be honest, including giving refunds in those circumstances. I know they're not keen on refunds and I understand why and all the rest of it. But in a circumstance where the app's called the same, it was my understanding you couldn't have an app called the same. And another thing that sneaky app developers do is if they've got an app that does the same thing as sort of blogs app, they'll put the word blogs app in their text somewhere and it will turn up in a search, which can be handy if you're looking for an alternative to something. But it's also a little bit on the naughty side, isn't it? Mm, definitely. Well, Apple revealed the top 10 reasons that apps are rejected this week, and some of those were classics. They were. I can't remember them all. We'll put um, a link in the show notes to the article. But some of the reasons are very similar to Microsoft. And on the bugs point, um, if they reject apps with bugs, how come so many updates have a description of bugs fix? Bugs, bugs fix. <laughs> Fixing bugs, as in bugs bonnet. <laughs> Bug fix. Just give up while you're ahead, yeah. really. Well, those are the bugs that Apple don't find. Must be a lot of those. Ah, there must be, yes. Every, every time I update, you know, it says bug fix. Oh, I love the ones that are really inventive. So Some of the um, 
change logs that I read are absolute classics. And I know you don't tend to read them. I do tend to read them. I find all sorts out in there. But some of them are absolute classics. They're, they're, they're worth updating just to read the changes log. I, I recommend anybody who's updating their iOS device, have a quick look at some of the changes logs. They're hysterical. Yammer do um, it. Yammer do it every time. They, they put something in their description uh, in iTunes. It's something like uh, a lot of bugs a lot of bugs were squashed during this update <laughs> yes similar and and also people putting in like virtually whole stories about stuff absolute classics and you found a football story this week with an IT twist I did. In many countries, Monday this week was the transfer deadline day in the football world. Now, for those of you who aren't interested or aren't aware, um, until... You're about to make them aware. Yes. Until a few years ago, if a player wanted to play for a different team or if, cl- if a club wanted to sell a player to a different team, this could happen at any time. And then FIFA, who run football... Allegedly. Sorry? Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Mm. Yes, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go down that route. Um, they brought in two transfer windows. For most European leagues, there's an eight-week period from the first of July to the end of August, and a four-week period which covers January. And players can only move between clubs during these periods. The last day of the period is known as transfer deadline day and is characterised by a flurry of activity right until eleven o'clock. Or beyond has happened this week. Yes, beyond there was a United player got transferred the day after so rules can be bent if necessary but there's lots of media coverage lots of social media coverage and you'll hear them talking about the fax machine yes this outdated piece of technology really does work overtime on transfer deadline day because all the appropriate paperwork has to be sent to the football authorities and most clubs still send it via fax yes i was surprised as well i always thought that was just a term i did I did, but apparently, having done a bit of reading up to, for, for this um, this piece, it does does exist in most clubs. Now, this week, uh, a company called DocuSign, who are a firm that specialise in signing and exchanging of contracts digitally, they hired a plane with a banner attached to it and flew it over the Old Trafford football ground. And the banner had the words, fax out, with a hashtag of fax out of football which was very reminiscent to me of the Moyes out banner that was flown over the same ground a few months ago, calling for United boss David Moyes to be fired. Although there was actually a serious message behind this stunt because they claim that several deals in the last January window fell victim to the paperwork not being finalised in time, something they say could have been avoided by more using more modern technology. Now, I'm also wondering if any of the uh, paperwork got chewed up by the fax machine and that caused the deals to fall through. More likely it's the lawyers with their quill pens, you know. <laughs> oh, are they still using old technology? It wouldn't surprise me. Lawyers used to get paid by the word, you know. Did they? Mm, that, that explains a lot. It does. When I last did some training in a lawyer's office, they were using WordPerfect 5.1. Next to the quill pen. Mm. Which is just one step up from a quill pen. Anyway, the sports technology expert at DocuSign said faxing is tedious, insecure and delays the transactions for such a fast-paced sport. Now, that could be my perfect job, you know, combining my love of sport with a love of tech. Sports technology expert. Well, yes, I can I can see the appeal to you. What do you think? You could work at the United End. I could. Mm. Feeding the paper through the fax machine. Yeah, what a job. <laughs> ah. 
I can imagine that's a well-paid job at United. Probably. I doubt that many of the players could manage it. Anyway, another week, another Google demise. This time, Google authorship. Now, that was a system I actually had high hopes for. There's another thing that's all common to these demises, isn't it? It was a system to allow authors of blog posts or articles online to claim ownership of their work. And how they did that was you had to put a code in your page. It wasn't too tricky. It was a bit of a faff, to be honest, to set up when we did it, wasn't it? It was. Uh, You've got to test it. You've got to put this code in the page. And if you're using like a blog, you'd have to stick it either in a plug-in or actually inside the theme to get it in the right place. But the whole point of doing it was that your avatar would appear in search results. So having done all that and gone through all that process, it worked for you and not me. Oh, what can I say? Yes, I know. Well, after research, I found that it said it can come straight through to the search results within minutes or it could take up to a year. And Google reserved the right not to show avatars at all. And they preferred headshots, identifiable headshots. Is that like selfie headshots? Yes, which means obviously they weren't keen on mine. Well, mine finally started showing my avatar two weeks ago. Hence, it looks like I must take full responsibility for the demise of Google authorship as well. So, authorship dead. Long live Project Wing. I know, you're wondering, aren't you? A drone-based delivery system. Did you see the video? I did see the video. Classic. Yeah. Two years in development so far, that thing. And I thought suspiciously similar to the Amazon drones. Mm, definitely. But weren't they huge? Five-foot wingspan on this thing. And having seen it, I'm going to need a bigger front path. The other thing was that struck me. It can only carry a maximum weight of 22 pounds. You won't get much of an iMac under £22. I'm thinking I'd be lucky to get just the mouse. Actually, having watched the video where that package is flung from the drone, there's no difference between this and Yodel. (laughs) To be honest, you're right. (laughs) In fact, Yodel don't usually sling it from that height, do (laughs) they? Luckily, it's a few years from becoming a reality, so Amazon don't have to worry just yet. But it's now time to look at a great app I've fallen in love with. Spoiling the punchline there. Only following your lead, dear. Anyway, back to the app. The app that is Resize Sense from, now, a company I'm not too sure how to pronounce the name, but um, it looks like Veprit, which is V-E-P-R-I-T. Now, it's a utility to batch process images, which is much more exciting than it sounds when you've got a lot of images to process which I do. And most of my image processing was previously done in Adobe Fireworks. Until, of course, Adobe unceremoniously killed it. There is a thread this week, isn't there? There is. All the toys I like. What's that term they bandy about when they kill something? Ah, you mean sunsetted. No, the other one. Maintenance mode. No further development, but, and I like this bit, they would continue to sell the old version. That's because people are still using it. So the CS6 version of Fireworks is still available. It's available as part of a Creative Cloud subscription and it's also available as a boxed product until the boxed products run out. They will provide security updates as necessary and they may, that was in flashing capitals, may provide bug fixes. They guaranteed it to work on, and I quote, the next version of OS X. But that was back in May 2013. So the next version would have been Mavericks. So as for Yosemite, who knows? As I said, sunsetted. Yeah, pretty much, (laughs) yes. Well, I was still using it for a few specific jobs, but 
things that you would imagine I was using it for, UX and UI mock-ups, Sketch from Bohemian Coding is your friend there. So that job was taken care of. The two jobs that were left were exporting optimised JPEGs. And the reason I was using Fireworks for that, because anything can create a JPEG from another file format. In my case, it was TIFFs. Um, you get much smaller file sizes with Fireworks. But the most important job I had was batch processing of images because I have an image and I want to take that image to a range of sizes. For those who are thinking I'm just being lazy, I'm not. I've got multiple files in and I want multiple files out of the process. So, for example, I could have 20 original files going into this process and I want 14 different sizes for each one of them which would mean 280 files coming out of the other end. And often I'm not handling 20. It's more likely I'll be handling between 50 and 60 images, which for those not keeping up with the maths would mean I'd have an output requirement of 700 to 840 derivative images. This is why I didn't want to return to processing them manually. And I have tried so many batch processing apps that I'd lost count. Many of them did part of the job. The difficult part was having an image, taking it out to many outputs. Many more of them managed to take in multiple images and give you a single output for each image, but nothing seemed to be faster or easier than fireworks. Then I spotted Resize Sense and just as I'd almost given up, I decided go on one more then and I, I would give it a try. Now, it's quite a simple looking interface. There's like one main panel, but there is a lot of power packed into its interface. Now, the first choice you've got to make is, are you processing a single image or do you want to use a preset? Now, when I say a single image, processing not a single image, but you want a single output. So, for example, I could have 10 images that I want to be processed to be 50% of their current size. And Let's assume I don't have a preset for that. It's not something that I do frequently. So even with that simple example, there's a lot of scope. When you add the images you want processed, you can rotate them, flip them, manually crop them. You can crop to straighten them. You can remove the adjustments if you need to. And you can do all of that on an individual basis, what you know, to in each individual file before you start specifying the output that you want. Now, when you come to specify the output that you've got, remember here, I'm just at this moment working on a random collection of files. This is not a preset at the moment, but I can size it based on a fixed width and or height. I could create fixed dimensions. I could fit it to a width or fit it to a height. I could fit it to a set of dimensions. You could say longest edge, shortest edge. You could fix it to a megapixel count. You could create a maximum file size or you could just crop the image. That range of options to me was amazing because I think even in fireworks, you didn't have all of those. You could set it, you could set the size and you could do it by a percentage if you want, but not all of those options. So at this point, it was looking quite hopeful, but I wasn't sold. I wasn't sold yet. Um, then you come down to the specifics of the size, because at that point you're just saying dimensions or, or whatever, but you can come onto the specifics of the size and they can be specified in pixels percentages in inches or centimeters. 
I also found within the interface that there were two buttons that were more useful than you would imagine. They allow you to switch the values. So if you've inadvertently typed them in backwards, you've got this button to switch them. And there's also a little button that will clear those values. Now, sometimes when I'm working with an app like this, I'm, I'm going too quick and I go into a field and I start typing and I realise that I'm not over typing what was already there. So that button to clear, it's actually quite useful. Uh, then you've got more options after that. Um, if the aspect ratio changes, horizontal crop alignments, vertical crop alignments, even what to do if the original image is too small. So you may have an image that you tell it you want to be 1024 pixel square, but the original image isn't that size. And you can decide what you want to do. Do you want it to upscale it? Do you want it to ignore it? All of that is available there. Now, if you've set all this up and think, that was really handy. I might do that again in the future. Then you can save that as a preset. So all of those settings that I've just talked through, you can save them as a preset and then they're available for, for reuse. Now, it's a simple drag and drop procedure to add images to be processed. But more so than many other apps like this, once you've got them in the preview, you can view them in detail. You can zoom into them, you can zoom out of them. You can actually see quite a lot of those. There is a thumbnail grid at the bottom of the interface and a whole preview window in the top right hand corner. So you can zoom that view there. Now, once your requirements start getting more advanced, Resize Sense comes into its own because this is where you will use presets. Now, if you recall my requirements, I wanted to have multiple images, usually from Keynote, saved in TIFF format. And I wanted to create multiple derivatives of each one in a specific range of sizes, 14 for me at the last count. Now, Resize Sense has two distinct types of presets. There are size presets and saving presets. And because there's the two types, they create a flexible workflow. You can map the different sizes to different outputs in a mix and match way. So you have your size presets that map to saving presets and vice versa. So you've got no need to have two different presets that are exactly the same except for the output format. So maybe in one you want them JPEG and then the other you want them PNG because that would create a problem of keeping the processing side of the presets in sync when you made changes. So this way you only have to set the sizing elements up once and you then create two saving presets, one for the JPEGs, one for the PNGs. Now, both of these preset types have a full set of management options via their respective management windows. And the shortcut keys for that, Command Shift and P is the sizing presets. Command Option and P is the saving presets. Now, they are also available from the Windows menu, which, to be honest, is not the first place I look for them. I looked on every other menu first, but no, they're available on the Windows menu. And then the size presets include all the same details and settings that are available for a single image. So all of the types, the sizes, all of those details. Now, what I do with the size presets is name them because you can give these presets a name and then they're in a list. So you can go back and just choose the ones you want. I name them with the suffix that I'd like the processed images to have. And then I utilize that suffix in the saving presets. So moving on to those saving presets, they allow you to specify the file format of the exported image and it can save to JPEG, TIFF, PNG, GIF, although I think that's called GIF these days. That's a cleaning fluid, isn't it? <laughs> GIF, like I say. Uh, bitmap or the original file format. You might think, well, 
why the original. The original's there, so you don't have to specify it. It will use whatever the original was. Now, if you choose JPEG, then you can also specify the quality. And it also allows you to take complete control of the file naming of the output files with a whole range of tokens available. So you can use the existing file name, you can use the size preset name, the saving preset name, you can have them sequenced, you can use file information, so di uh, dimensions, DPI, all of that kind of information, metadata, so copyright, camera info, EXIF data. Now my setup is I have 14 size presets and I apply those all at once in a single pass and then use one saving preset and then once I've hit the save button I'm done. Now Fireworks would chug away with itself for quite a while as it made its way through a 6,000 line script to do that with the screen flashing in a seizure inducing way as it did it eventually proudly proclaiming itself complete. Now Resize Sense was finished almost before Fireworks gets started so once I've got something as awesome as this I immediately start to consider how easy it would be to transfer my customised setup to another machine or just back it up. Well, all of that's taken care of with an export procedure for both sizing presets and saving presets. They both generate an XML file containing all the presets, but it gets better than that because there is a granular level of export too, which is perfect for creating a subset of presets to send to a client or a colleague, and you can send them via email or you know Dropbox, and that's what I've done several times actually, and that is just brilliant. Not only have I managed to back up my own settings, but I've managed to pass them around, get other people to use them as well. It's such a good app. Now the app itself is $13.99. So for long-term Mac biters, you'll know that's what we refer to as a tweet bot. Uh, some will no doubt want something cheaper, but if you have even a fraction of the requirements that I have, believe me, it's well worth the investment. There's also a free trial available from veprit.com. So I'm saying that as veprit. Uh, and it's available either directly from them or via the Mac App Store. They also have a couple of other apps, so I'll take a look at those in future shows. And when you do, will that mean that your senses will be working overtime? Okay, playing senses working overtime. Cut it out, you two, before I start singing along. No, 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 neither of us want that. Thank you. <laughs> But now on to part two of our WordPress deep dive. And first a follow up from last week, ByWord. It's available for iOS and Mac and it has been updated. So this was um, a few days ago, the Mac version was updated and they had a nice addition there, which was to upload local images to WordPress, which solves one of the most annoying things about using third party apps for blogging. Clarify deals with uploading uh, images, which we did mention last time. And I think I mentioned that Scrivener doesn't because it's not really intended for blogging. So if I'm writing in Scrivener, I've got to manually upload those images. Well, ByWord has solved that problem and it handles it really well. Uh, how it works is when you are using ByWord to write your blog post, you can either write it in text or you can write it in um, Markdown. And I prefer to write it in Markdown, which means I can include images in the file. And they can either be remote images, images that are already on a website somewhere, or they can be local images that are local to where I'm working. So 
hands up actually usually my desktop i know i shouldn't but usually my images that i'm working with are on my desktop well if the images are remote then you've got no problem you just use the path to them but using local images usually means a manual upload after you've published because as you add them to byword which it will let you do with drag and drop it puts them in with a file colon slash 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 notation and that gives you a problem when you come to upload that because the files aren't in the same place. Do you remember your first website when you did that? Yes, all the, all the images were missing, weren't they? <laughs> well, no, they weren't for you, were they? You had them on your desktop. And um, it worked because the file reference worked for you. And you said, doesn't it look fabulous? And I said, well, I can't see the images because they weren't on my desktop. Yes. The... That was when we learnt about remote images. It was a long time ago, though, people. It was about 1993. I was going to say the joys of early adoption of web development. Well, it did look good on yours. It just didn't look that good to anybody else. That was something you saw quite frequently, to be honest, didn't it? Yeah. Well, what ByWord does is it uploads to the WordPress-defined location for storing your media. And as you hit the publish button, it gives you a dialog box. It lists all of the local images with a button next to each image. So you have complete control. Now, the clever bit is once you've uploaded the image, you're not repeatedly prompted to re-upload that image. It checks and then ignores any files that it finds remotely, which I thought was clever. Yeah, nice feature. Well, the important point to note here is that this exporting and publishing to WordPress does require an in-app purchase of $2.99, but it unlocks more than WordPress uploading. It will upload to Blogger, Tumblr, even Evernote, uh, something called Scriptogram, which I don't use myself, and WordPress. So uh, I bought that a while back and it's just become even more useful because now I can upload these images. So at the moment, I'm thinking it would probably be quicker for me to export from Scrivener in markdown format straight to ByWord and upload it from there because what I was doing was pasting it into the back end of WordPress and then having to manually upload those images. So much faster now. I don't actually write much on the road, but maybe I need to investigate this as it would allow me to write in Markdown on the road. I think you should. Now, now you're getting into uh, Markdown. But back to part two of our WordPress deep dive and the mobile options. Yeah, as I said last week, most of the content that I create for my WordPress sites is tutorials. So I need access to the apps that I'm writing the tutorial about. I need screenshots, etc. A lot of the posts are created from Clarify or typed directly into WordPress via a backend on the desktop. But there may be times when I need access to the backend of my site via mobile. Maybe I want to make a quick edit to go back to something we said earlier, a typo. Or maybe I want to create a quick post or change some kind of configuration. Now, for me, as I say, that's unlikely to happen. But if you're the kind of person that creates uh, blog posts that are, uh, are not particularly tutorials, you, you're just blogging about your life and you know, maybe you're at an event or something like that and you want to create um, a blog post from your mobile, then this is when these, uh, these type of apps come in handy. I have four apps on my iPad, none of which I must admit I've actually used in a while. I've got WordPress, I've got Posts, I've got Poster, and I've got BlogPress. So here's a quick roundup of all of them. The WordPress app for iOS is free, and you can do things like manage comments. So if somebody posts a comment to one of your, your blog posts, then you can go in, you can approve it, you can reject it, 
you can reply. So that's that's handy to do when you're and it's, you know, I keep saying on the road, but it doesn't have to be on the road. You could be lying on your sofa. You know, if you remember Steve Jobs, when he, he did the original iPad presentation, he was sat in an easy chair, wasn't he? Or sitting on a sofa, just browsing the, the web. So you could be doing that and you get a notification of a of a comment and you want to, to approve that. If you want to create or edit a post or a page, the editor is very basic. It's got a few buttons for bold, italic, underline, uh, inserting a link, but you've got no access to what they call short codes, which in WordPress is just a, a quick way of uh, inserting a whole block of, of, of content in a, a single line. You haven't got access to plugins either. So even if they're installed on your site, you've got no access to use them or uh, configure them. And inserting images is limited to the camera roll which, as I say, is handy if you've, you're taking photos at a, an event, something like that, and you want to, to, to block about those. The preview mode lets you see what the post or page would look like, um, which is good um, because the editor is not WYSIWYG. So if you really want to see what the, the post will look like when it's published, uh, use the preview mode. You can assign the post to a category. You can add tags. You can schedule the post to be published at a future date. So those are, are some of the benefits. And it does support some of the advanced features of WordPress, such as post types and a featured image. But you know, again, if you want to use a featured image, it is limited to picking one from the camera roll. One thing that I didn't like is that when the WordPress app opens, it loads in a reader because I actually said to you, what is this all about? And it seems to be a collection of random posts from who knows where based on who knows what. But I ended up ignoring it. I think it's now trying to be something that it isn't. It didn't used to be like that. Um, originally, it was intended you know, for you to access your blog, be that either on WordPress.com or your self-hosted site. Um, they've tried to change it into a content consumption app and some might use it for that. But I really honestly doubt it would be the primary reason to download it. I don't like having half the interface dedicated to consuming content I have no interest in. There are dedicated apps for that and we use them. There was um, Flipboard, Zite, those kind of apps. And that's really the way it seems to be trying to go. If you can ignore that side of it, because like you say, it's random, isn't it? It's not as though it's showing you stuff that's based on what you're writing. It just seems to be random. Um, if you can ignore that, then it has actually improved over the years. And irrespective of which app you actually choose to use, it's always handy to have the official WordPress app at least available because WordPress gets updated and tweaked regularly. And this app is probably going to be the most likely one to be up to date to give access to any new features that might appear. So, um, But I agree with you. I, I don't like that content consumption side of it. The second app that I looked at is BlogPress and that is £1.99. It's available for iPad and iPhone. It's got a basic editor 
which inserts old deprecated tags. And if I just explain what I mean, um, if you wanted to make something bold, then back in the old days, you would enclose the word or the sentence that you wanted to make bold in B tag. So B at the beginning slash B at the end. That has been superseded by the strong tag. But this editor still insists on inserting old tags. There's no preview for existing posts, which I found a bit strange. I know you'd want to preview a new post before you made it live, but if you're going back and looking over old posts, I'm sure you'd want to, to see them in a preview mode rather than the raw HTML, which I would want to do. Um, the preview for newly created or posts that you edit isn't uh, a true preview either. Uh, it, and it actually tells you it says there's a note which says that what is displayed depends on your theme and what CSS you've got set up. So that's that's something that I didn't particularly like. And there's also an annoying default signature, which luckily can be turned off. I can't remember exactly what it is because I actually removed it. But it says something like created with blog press. Um, and you don't want to see that at the bottom of every blog post, do you? I wouldn't have thought so for one minute, but then it's like the email clients, isn't it? It is the one that says sent with sent with Acme email. Buy me now. Sent with my iPhone. Or as one of my, uh, my one of my colleagues at work has put sent with my teletype. <laughs> yeah, um, this app has got no support for the advanced features of WordPress. All the all the advanced features that I talked about before when we when I talked about WordPress, um, this doesn't have um, support for them. Another one, which is free, is one called Posts, which is only available on the iPad, and it is very visual. What it does is it displays a timeline. So if you could imagine on your iPad, you've got a timeline um, along the bottom, and on the timeline are thumbnails. Each thumbnail represents a blog post. And on the thumbnail, you see the date that the post was written, the title, you see the image. And what it does is it uses the first image from the post. So if the post has got no images in it, then it won't display anything um, in terms of a post. You can see the number of comments and you can see a little bit of the text. It's usually the first couple of lines of text from the post, which I think is a good way to find a post. So if you know when it was written or approximately when it was written, you can go and find it. And it's also a good way to see how often you're blogging. You can change the timeline to show just the day, the week or a month. It's got a nice editor. You can insert an image or a video and you can do it from a URL. So if the image or if the video is already up there, then you're not limited to just inserting stuff locally from your camera roll. It supports categories, it supports tags, and you can create an excerpt, which I think I talked about an excerpt last week. It's just a, a two or three line summary of uh, a blog post, which is really used to entice the reader into to reading your blog post. So you can actually create the excerpt from your uh, from the app on your iPad. You get access to custom fields. You can choose to enable or disable comments um, for each post. You can schedule your posts in advance. You can make them sticky, which basically means that the post will always appear at the top as opposed to moving down in chronological order. You can choose a post type. You can choose to save um, the, the the post as a local draft. So it saves it directly to the iPad. 
Useful if you've got no internet connection whilst you're on the road and then you can upload it later. You can manage comments so you can reply, delete and approve comments. And also directly from the post, you can open the post in Safari so you can see what it would look like. You can mail a link to the post and you can tweet the post. So it's got some some social features. Just before you move on to the next one. Yes. Um, You said this was free. Yes. Yes. I've been swindled. Why? I've, I've sat here as you're saying it, thinking, just a minute. I'm sure I paid for this. So I've gone back to my um, quite long spreadsheet. <laughs> Let's not talk about how many, how many line items are in there. Um, I can't tell you which was which because I bought them within a day of each other. But poster and posts, one of them was six ninety nine, and the other was £2.49. Well, just think of how much use you've had out of it for your whatever. Well, fair enough. It was two years ago, but that's not the point, is it? No. <laughs> well, it's a good deal then, isn't it? Because it wasn't free when I bought it. It is. Now, talking of poster, I was going to review poster. But whilst looking for the URL, I actually found it's no longer in the App Store. I've been swindled again then, haven't I? <laughs> it still works if you've got it. <sighs> you just got to hang on to it. Yes. Um, in June last year, they sold the. Um, it was sold to the company that actually just happens to run WordPress.com. You mean they Googled it? Yes. Mm. The best features, they say, will be added into the WordPress app over time, although I haven't seen any evidence of that. Well, if they could add their features and remove the other stupid stuff, that would be an improvement. Mm, Definitely. It's it's a shame it had some good features. It it integrates with one password, which is useful when you are connecting to a blog. The editor supports Markdown and it also supports some of the advanced features such as custom fields. Yes, I think that's why I used it. It was the Markdown feature of it that I liked. Now, one of the apps that I've used that you don't seem to have tried is Blogsy. Um, again, it has support beyond WordPress, so it works with Tumblr and other blog types. It's got a very powerful interface, but quite quirky. So it's not really in keeping with iOS 7 at all. It's quite a dark interface. And do you know what I mean when I say it's a heavy interface? Lots of options in it and um, dark menus popping up all over. Now, the benefit for me is the ability to write in Markdown. When you start writing in Markdown, you get an extended keyboard. Um, how it works is once you've written it in Markdown, it will convert it to standard HTML. If you prefer to write in HTML, then there's also an extended keyboard for that too. It has the ability to save versions, which can be very handy. You navigate those versions via this popover. To be honest, I wasn't overly keen on the popover aspect of it. I appreciate they've only got limited screen space to work with, but you know when it comes up in a popover and you can't quite read everything because it's just not wide enough? Yeah. It's got those kind of issues with it. But it has online drafts and it has local drafts too. So if you've, if you've got a Wi-Fi only iPad or you don't have a connection, then you can save these drafts locally until you do have. One of the cool features was um, you can upload images via an envelope metaphor. So in a similar way to Courier, remember that doomed app from Real Mac that I loved? Yes. That one. What you do is you set the credentials for your image location once and then you add any further images that you want to upload to a little envelope and you see the envelope and you literally pop the images into it and then it will upload those images to the pre-configured locations, which is good because you're not being mithered for your password and login credentials all the time. Uh, you can also have um, a default photo upload location and uh, you can 
upload to Flickr, Instagram, Facebook. You can send videos up to YouTube and Vimeo. So from that perspective, it's very fully featured. And uh, that one's $2.99. So it's great value for $2.99. It gets great reviews if you can forgive this kind of quirky interface. Now, as I say, they've not done anything at all to, to make that iOS 7-ish. Whether they will leave it as it is and it will just be quirky forever, I don't know. Maybe with iOS 8 around the corner. They will update it, who knows, but it's very powerful if you can forgive or ignore the interface. So what's your preference then? I think the listeners can probably tell that from the amount I said about each one, <laughs> but uh, Posts. Posts will be my app of choice, although it hasn't been updated since April last year. I think it's still got some fantastic features. Well, I really, really like the timeline viewing posts. I think it's awesome. Um, when, I'm, when I'm working with a blog that has sort of two and three posts in a day, it really comes into its own. And the way you can just scroll backwards and forwards. So I, I would tend to use posts as well. Um, the markdown capability of Poster and Blogsy is very useful, though. And then I'd use the WordPress one as a backup. But having thought it through for this piece, I thought, to be honest, I much prefer working on the desktop. <laughs> if it's a long, text-heavy post, it's in Scrivener. Um, if it's a tutorial, it's in Clarify. If I want to upload it via Markdown, I'll use Byword. And to me, best of all, decent keyboard. Love it. Love it. So I, I'm a desktop person myself. But I do have all of those apps and, and I do. Um, it's a good job we've revisited them because I think I'll get rid of a couple of them now. <laughs> I think they were just there historically, really. Yes, I agree with you, actually. I think I'll do the same. What I could really do with is the definitive one, you know. So if any kind developer out there would like to, to build something absolutely perfect, I'll buy it. But onward, we heard from Alistair via Twitter, who said that his take on the event slogan was that this is the Apple event next week, was that MacBytes Siri would be getting a lot more conceited soon. What? I'm perfect as I am. I think that's just the sort of attitude he was referring to. Anyway, you've been busy lately with a new project too. Yes, this week I launched a new video-based training course. I thought I'd do it before the Apple event. It's Excel related. There's a surprise. Yes, thank you. I've created two versions of the course, one for Excel for Windows and one for Excel 2011 for Mac. But rather than making you choose, you get both courses for the price of one. Now, if only Apple did that with the iPads, a black one and a white one for the price of one iPad. Oh, I'd buy a mini as well then. I didn't know those were included. Two for the price of one, not, not, sorry, Yes, but three. if I wasn't buying two iPads, if I was getting one of each, then I'd have spare money, wouldn't I, for the mm, mini? Fair enough. Yeah. Well, anyway. It's a woman's mind. Get on with it. Yes, I'm getting on with it. The course is called Excel More Than a Numbers Game. And for most people, Excel means numbers and mathematical formulas. But for many users, Excel offers a way to store, manage and manipulate lists of text-based items. For example, names, addresses, dates of birth, telephone numbers, email addresses, web addresses and so on and so forth. And in the course, I demonstrate a number of ways that you can manage and manipulate uh, text. So, for example, somebody sends you a list of names that are all typed in capitals and you need them with just the first letter capital and I'll show you how you can do this in just a few seconds without retyping. Or sometimes you might need to extract part of a text entry. You might need to extract, say, just the country code uh, from a list of telephone numbers. Or somebody gives you a file with what appears to be some dates in it. But when you try and, and sort the dates or use them in a pivot table, it doesn't work because they're not actually dates. 
Anyway, if you're interested, there's a short taster video over at the exceltrainer.co.uk. And right now there is 30% off for any subscribers of my newsletter. Excellent. And on to events. And we have a corker planned. It is a MacBytes Live to coincide with the Apple event on the 9th of September. Wish we could say more. Well, I'm confident the MacBiters will have plenty to say in the chat room. We have bingo cards. We have audio only feed. If you are inexplicably indisposed or on the way home. You know, we have a lot of people join us on the way home on their radio. We do. That's because it's an odd time in the UK. Well, we'll also relay the video stream. Apple are streaming it live and um, we relay it because it usually only works in Safari, which isn't helpful if you're attempting to craftily watch at work. So the relay will take care of that. And of course, the text chat will carry on throughout the entire event. Excited much? Oh, yes. So much so, I think it deserves iPhone, 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 iPhone. I think it's safe to say there will be iPhone news next week. So we will see you there, 5.30 UK time in the MacBytes chat room, which is, couldn't be easier, macbytes.co.uk slash live. But that's it for this episode of MacBytes, and you know how to get in touch with us. We love to hear from you. Email, website, Facebook, Google+, or any other way you can think of. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash macbytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesSiri. So until next time, this has been Elena Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. You've been very quiet today. I've not recovered from last week yet. What do you mean? I have man flu. <coughs> is that all? You have no idea how serious man flu is. <coughs> I could need a full body transplant by next week. How very convenient. With the Apple event looming.